The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the gram, stunt me a destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. Now, on today's episode, we have got on another very special guest. She's got an extremely fascinating and harrowing story. She was born in North Korea and eventually defected from there and is now living in the USA. She has written two books. In Order to Live, and a new one, which is called Wild Time Remains. And this is the one and only Yomni Park. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Happy to have you on, Yomni. So I've done a brief intro there, but for people who may not be familiar with you, please tell them who you are and what it is that you do. Yeah, so I'm a Northern Defector Human Rights Activist. Uh, my life in the past has been more dedicated to try to raise awareness about what is really happening inside North Korea. And also the Chinese Communist Party say support on this dictatorship. Uh, North Korea has a 25 million population and the United Nations came out with their report in 2011 declaring that what is happening in North Korea for the people, the only resemblance we can find in human, human history is the Holocaust and Nazi Germany and Stalin's uh, work camps. So most of people have no clue that this tragedy is happening. And also I am a survivor of modern day slavery. And a lot of people in, the, in America often think that somehow slavery ended and that we abolished uh, slavery, but it isn't true. It is happening right now in the 21st century that is sponsored by Chinese Communist regime. And that has been my life, trying to raise awareness so we can stop the slavery that has been continuing to this day. I hear that. And I've heard your story over the years on multiple podcasts, as well as your TEDx talks as well. So I don't want to spend the entire podcast going through your entire story, because I know you've documented that before. But for people who are brand new, I think it would be good for them to get a summary and an overview of mm -hmm. a little bit of your story. So let's, uh, let's spend some time on that. Yeah, it's a, uh, I was born in North Korea in 1993. 
in the border, like northern part of Korea, let's say northern part has a border from China. I was born there. I've never even seen the map of the world. I had no clue that I was born into the Hermit Kingdom. I was singing the songs like Nothing to Envy because the regime told me that uh, there was nothing for us to envy because we are living in a socialist paradise. However, even though this was like the songs that we were forcing in real life, uh, we were daily starved and people were getting uh, disappeared at nighttime and people were getting executed publicly and just dead bodies on the streets everywhere. And at school, I had to go to school to learn, but everything that we learned at school was complete propaganda. Uh, they said, you know, Americans are monsters. They were like cold-blooded reptiles. They were trying to attack us. But however, we are so lucky that we had our amazing real leader to protect us from these uh, capitalist monsters. And therefore, we need to die for the revolution. And I was, you know, learning, brainwashing to become a socialist revolutionary. And eventually, by the time I was 13 years old, we could not really simply find any more food. And the reason why North Koreans are starving is because the regime uses uh, starvation as a tool to control the population. And imagine if the population are not fed and they have really no time to thinking about anything else. Like they don't have time to think about uh, I mean, social justice or freedom and human rights, really. Only thing that people are allowed to think about is where can we find the next meal. And by the time when I was 13 years old, we could not find any next meal, even in the nature. And up until that point, I was looking, eating grasshoppers, dragonflies, and plants to survive. And even that was dried up. So we had to find a way to survive. And that was crossing the frozen Yellow River into China. And that led me to escape from North Korea. How many people, I don't know how well these numbers are documented, but how many people have been able to get out of that country in the way that you have? So this is all estimates because nobody knows. You can never have a public survey in North Korea, right? It's the sure. most closed country. Uh, for the U.S., for the last almost 80 years, only just about 200 North Korean defectors made it to America from yeah. North Korea. And there are estimated to be 300,000 North Korean defectors are currently in China, and they are the victims of modern-day slavery. They are being sold and killed, and the organs are harvested out of them as they buy the human traffickers in China right now. That's crazy. I mean, North Korea is so fascinating to me, and I think to many people, because it's this one country in the world with, as you said, 20, 25 million people, not a, not, a, not a tiny country, a similar population to, I guess, somewhere like Australia. Mm -hmm. And we know very little about it. Most people don't know anything about it. I mean, it's the only country where, I mean, I think you're, you're the first and only person <laughs> from that nation I've ever spoken to. Mm -hmm. um, you don't meet people from there. Obviously, almost nobody has gone there. Um, you don't see any sort of international participation in anything except for seeing the occasional military marches on TV or something like that. And 
it's just so strange how in this modern day era with the internet and social media, all the interconnectivity, it sort of fascinates me how there can be this nation of 25 million people that we know so little about and have such little communication with. So how do they, especially now, I mean, maybe I can understand more how they did it in the past, but at this stage, how do they still manage to keep people so disconnected and isolated from the rest of the world? So basically, each so North Korea so far had three kings, three dictators from the same family. Uh, it, even though it was as a communist country began, it became a kingdom. Uh, so each king comes in, their level of fairness increase. And back then, of course, the North Korea, if one person commits a crime, it doesn't just end you, that person getting punished. Literally, the three generations of family can get punished for one person's crime. Mm-hmm. And that's how they call getting uh, rid of the root of a cause. You know, possibility of a cause can somebody resist. And not only that, they completely blocked the information flow inside the country. North Koreans don't even know the existence of internet. We don't even have electricity. If you see the photos of North Korea at night from the satellite pictures, it is literally the darkest place on Earth right now. And so there's no information flow and there's no freedom of movement between people. So even within North Korea, as a North Korean, you don't have a freedom to go to the next town without a government permit. And you cannot even go sleep over at your friend's house without registering at the authority. Mm-hmm. So every movement is restricted. There's no information. And even if somebody knew something, if you spread that, like the, literally the first thing my mom told me as a young girl was, don't even whisper because the birds and mice could hear me. She said the most dangerous thing I had in my body was my tongue. Because mm-hmm. if I said one thing wrong, that was going to kill up to eight generations of my family. So with that fear, that brutality is something called zero tolerance. Mm-hmm. That's in the dictator's handbook. They literally tolerate nothing. And that kind of brutality. And also, as I said, even though North Korea, Kim Il-sung came into power promising North Korean people the equality of outcomes. Nobody's going to be ever poor. Nobody ever going to be rich. We are going to be all equal. And he abolished private property. Nobody could own a home, nobody could own a bicycle or a car or animal, nothing. You could not own anything in the country. Mm-hmm. When regime took everything, they divided North Koreans into 51 different classes of caste system. And North Koreans are a homogeneous nation. We look the same, we have the same genetics, we have the same language. And same people dividing them 51 different classes and Based on your caste system, regime decides who gets fed, who gets to starve to death. So the people are divided from each other. And the another method the regime prevents people to mix between classes. So when you get married in North Korea, and if the guy was in a higher class and girls a lower class, if the, they get married, the girl don't marry up. The guy's entire family, the generation go down with that guy. Mm-hmm. So families are not allowed a person to marry somebody who's lower their class, right? And that prevents of the mix of the caste between them. It's so it's so bizarre to me. 
So when you were growing up there, if you can remember back to this, I mean, you said you hadn't seen a world map, but how much knowledge did you have of the outside world? So even if it was skewed, so of course, you must have heard about the USA if they're teaching you propaganda about Americans. Um, I would assume you knew maybe something about China and South Korea and perhaps another couple countries, but how much did how much do people know about the world, even if what they know is wrong? So, well, yeah, I didn't know the name Americans, but mm. it was not Americans. The one word for us was American bastards. Okay. It was too polite to call Americans, right? It was, it was one word. We knew Japan, but we cannot call Japanese. It had to be Japanese imperialists. Mm -hmm. So it was always 1984 Georgia Wars narrative. There's an enemy trying to attack us. We need to hate our enemies with all our hearts. Mm -hmm. And we need to, you know, protect our nation by sacrificing ourselves. And uh, I got, so North Korean calendar begins not when Jesus Christ was born. North Korean calendar begins when Kim Il-sung was born. Mm. We have a different time zone. And at school, the North Korean regime teaches children, like my school teacher told me that I was not Asian. I did not even know the Asian word. She said that I'm, I was a Kim Il-sung race. Okay. That we were like our dear leader's race. He created us, right? Mm -hmm. So they literally copied the Bible and said that Kim Il-sung was a god. He loved us so much. He gave us his son, Kim Jong-il, whose body dies, but his spirit is with us. He knows what we think. So the North Korean regime brainwashed people, not to the point only. So there's two types of dictatorships. And Nazi Germany also experimented with this. First dictatorship is a physical dictatorship. They literally make sure that you cannot move around, right? You cannot go protest, you cannot speak, you cannot physically go another city. Second thing is called dictatorship of the mind. They even enslave your mind, thought crime. You, they brainwash to the point that people are even afraid to think. Mm -hmm. That is a degree of oppression that North Korean people are facing that we never really seen in the human history that people were to this degree being isolated and oppressed by, a, by their own government. Yeah. And what do you think it is that drives this? I mean, from the leadership perspective, is this just, is this just pure human, I don't even know what to call it, just greed and desire for authority and control and power? Or is there something is there something sort of deeper in the ideology? And I ask that because there have been many communist countries in the past, and they've, for the most part, all fallen or massively had to change. Yes, sure, China still has communistic elements, but it's very different from how it was many decades ago. We've had the fall of the Soviet Union. The whole communism experiment has, has failed. It's failed multiple times around the world, but there's still this one country where they are clinging on to it and then mixing it with these other forms of dictatorship. And it sounds like even the sort of bastardization of religion and using that to essentially have some type of really a monarch, a monarchy, an absolute monarchy, which is then mixed in with these communistic elements. So I'm just curious as to, I know we, none of us can mind read, but what do you think it is that even causes that to be 
I, I just find it so it, it blows my mind that it's possible because it sounds yeah. like, I don't know, it sounds like something that historical, mm. but just to know that this is happening now and my entire life, this has been going on in this place. And there's just this one country out there that is still doing this. I, I don't, I just don't understand what drives it. Yeah, I think I had a question for a long time. Uh, after coming out of North Korea and seeing this free world, it just made no sense. Like I was literally sold for less than $300 in the 21st century as sex slave. They sold my mom for $65 when we escaped into China. And the reason why we are being sold for that little is because of the Chinese regime catches, sent us back North Korea. It's like catching the Jews and sending them to gas chamber, right? North Koreans cannot go back to North Korea. And like, how does this make any sense? Why would the regime are this evil? Like the only thing North Korean people want is like, if I had some enough food, I would never have escaped. Nobody would be a sex slave and escape their home country like that, right? Mm. But even that, the regime doesn't do it. I think it's a, it was a gradual though. It was never like North Korea began this monstrous thing. I think they began in the, the idea, the desire for the paradise, desire for, you know, any help paved by good intentions. I think it was genuine some, a lot of the movement in the country that they wanted the equality of outcomes. They wanted everybody to do well. And then in order to do that, they had to trust their government, their system to distribute it fairly. But then when we give so much power to uh, such a one person, that power is going to corrupt, right? And then he's gonna get clouded judgment. The people next to him are gonna be afraid and not gonna tell him the truth. And then you become this almost egomaniac that you cannot handle any criticism. So you need to kill all your rivals. And then it becomes that you have done so much sin that if you lose power, the other people are going to come kill you, like Gaddafi. And a lot of dictators get killed in the hands of their own people. Mm-hmm. So it became a survivor game for the regime. That they have done so much, they came too far. They cannot let it go. It's a, in a way, it's too big to fail at this point. Mm-hmm. And it became, they tried to incorporate whatever it takes to maintain that control, like you said keep the power and when you are elite in north korea you have no idea it's not like american elite when you're a dictator in north korea you're a god mm. he has pleasure squad it's a, it's it's the only thing that north korea has they pick girls around the town in their elementary school in the kindergarten they groom them and into masseuse and sexual satisfactory group they get, and dancers, singers, and Kim Jong-un has like 2,000 harems every night. And when you're top elite, you get gifts of these girls from the dictator. So it's in some religions, they promise seven virgins after life. Imagine North Korea, they give it in the current life. Mm-hmm. So why would you not, not be royal to this guy? You get so much out of you know committing for this system, then really top percent people can live like no other person, no accountability. They can do really any evil they can and they can get away with it. Yeah. And what, what is life like for the average person there? 
not someone who's in part of the political elites or anything like that, just the everyday person, these 25 million people who yeah. are all there. I mean, I would imagine, and I think I've heard you say this, that you've said before that, you know, if you're truly oppressed, you don't know that you're oppressed, or if you're truly isolated, then you don't know that you're isolated. So at least on a kind of surface level, mm. are people for the most part, happy is a weird word. Are they, are they sort of happy because they don't know any better and they think that that's all life has to offer? Or is there a feeling of discontent, discontentment, which of course people are not going to publicly speak about and so on because you know, they're, they're so tyrannized and they have to suppress it. But would, would you say that the average person there is, does sense this oppression and some form of resentment? Or do you think that they're just kind of happy and, and placid? And I, again, I know you can't mind read, but I'm just trying to really get a grasp of what it must be like for someone to grow up and live in such a place. So it's a, like a, a lot of people are asking me, like, you know, what's if you like to live in North Korea? And I used to think like, maybe my English is not good enough. I cannot describe <laughs> this to people. And in a way, it's indescribable because imagine right now we're sitting here trying to imagine life on Mars. Mm -hmm. We can't because we don't know the norms there. We don't even know what they have, you know? And it's like that, like for North Koreans, they are isolated and oppressed to the point. They don't even have a vocabulary to uh, describe their situation. The regime removed the words like freedom, love, liberty, and oppression. Because, and even stress, they say like, you know, how can you be stressed living in a socialist paradise? Mm -hmm. So we cannot use that word. They even banned the word famine during the greatest famine where millions of people were dying that's when i was a toddler in the 90s it's one of the worst human uh famines that we've ever seen in the modern history that happened in north in the 90s people was were not allowed to use the word famine and hunger so you have you don't even have the vocabulary to describe your situation is that am i am i correct in saying that you had to use the term was it like the great marcher or something like that yeah, the arduous march. Yes, that's the one. Yeah, yeah, they, they don't allow us to say it's a great famine. Yeah. Can you explain yeah. that a little bit? So the arduous march is a supposedly, according to the propaganda, where Kim Il-sung took this very arduous march during the Revolutionary War when he was trying to find an independence for Korea from Japanese imperialism at the time, in the 90s and 1920s. And he made up this story where how that revolutionary march led to the victory. So as North Koreans in the 90s, 1990s to do the same and do not describe the situation as a famine or hunger. It's the largest march. We are all revolutionaries. We are fighting for this victory at the end. We are going to get the socialist paradise if we persevere enough. If we work hard one more day, we are going to get that a utopia that we were promised because apparently socialism needs to eventually bring that utopia to everybody, right? That's mm -hmm. what they're guaranteeing. And North Korea, nobody who was alive lived eight years since a day of utopia. So Kim Il-sung always had a promise in the future, this year, 
if you work hard, if you sacrifice more, then that year we are going to achieve that utopia. We're going to enter that utopia. And that was another propaganda to telling some people to suffer more. Wow. I've also heard that um, Kim Jong-il, I've heard that he, in his first game of golf that he scored, was it 11 holes in one? I've heard that he um, invented the burrito in yeah. 1992 and some other interesting fables as well. Yeah, some McDonald's too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he invented he McDonald's? Yeah, he invented okay. everything. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. amazing. <laughs> so tell me what it was like when you... So once you got out of North Korea, you first went to China. That's right. Mm -hmm. And then am I right in saying you spent time as well in South Korea and Mongolia before you got to the U.S.? Yeah. So I was in China, uh, sold as a slave and I was separated from my mom. Uh, two years, I found her back. Long story short, I met Christian missionaries from South Korea that they were rescuing North Koreans to safety. And they told us if we want to escape from China, we have to walk across the frozen Gobi Desert into Mongolia from China. Because North Koreans are fugitives. We don't have papers or a passport. Uh, only thing we could do was physically walking across the desert. So when I was 15 years old, uh, we did cross the frozen river, um, the desert into Mongolia. And luckily from there, we were able to go to South Korea and become a refugee and I lived in South Korea for five years before I came to the U.S. I hear that. What was it like being in South Korea? It's, you know, time traveling. <laughs> it's uh, landing on a different planet. It, it was, I mean, I was like a big, gigantic baby, you know, like mm. learning how to use a toilet, learning, seeing this nice soft toilet paper for the first time in my life and seeing the phone, you know, seeing internet i mean a flat screen tv i mean everything was new and it was just very overwhelming exciting but i still remember like it was very hard because after going to north korea i entered the south korea these uh, officials in south korea the first thing they teach us that americans are not bastards <laughs> they're very great country the democracy and you guys be nice that what you believed were like dictatorship. And then they said, everything that you believed was a lie. And I was thinking, so if I, everything I believed was a lie, how do I know what you're telling me is not a lie? Mm -hmm. You'd literally have this issue you trust afterwards. So it took a while for me to really understood like what happened. And how did that, how did that make you feel? I mean, knowing that these first third, first 13 years of your life, which at the time is you know, mm -hmm. pretty much your entire life. Mm -hmm. how, how did that, how did your brain even sort of fathom with this concept of just being living and raised in a, in one big lie? In the beginning, you deny, you mm. know, a lot of the passion deny. Like by then, like I was even in China two years. So in China, I still didn't have any education. So I believed all the North Korean propaganda, even till China, I believed that my dear leader couldn't read my mind, you know, that kind of brainwashing. But that was like, I was even 15 years old, but like someone like my mother and her friends in their forties, 
they just refused to believe that Korean War began by Kim Il-sung. They still believe like Americans came and invaded North Korea. And they, um, they believe that Kim Il-sung was not a dictator. He was a very moral guy working for the people tirelessly. He was a great, great leader. The problem was the people working for him was corrupt officials. Mm-hmm. So this is a, the North Korean theory. They need to somehow make a peace with their reality. So there are a lot of them eventually come to this realization. Okay, how can is it possible that our dear leader can be at fault? He's a god. So he's great, but the people who worked for him wasn't telling him the truth and did the right thing. So they blamed the officials and another dictator. And then maybe another five years passed in South Korea. Then you do come to realization slowly. Maybe that was maybe not a great guy. He maybe he cannot like go to. Maybe he goes to the bathroom, you know, begins <laughs> from there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and what's, the, what's the story told about the American bastards when you're in North Korea? What's the, because you, you mentioned something about the story of Americans invading North Korea or something. What's the, what's the story of all of that? So that's the thing, like uh, you need to have an enemy, right? Like current America, if there's a problem, uh, we blame capitalism for climate change. Like mm-hmm. if there's a, any problem, we are blaming for racism for everything, right? Like in North Korea, they need to find a scapegoat. So they said uh, America invaded North Korea in the 1950 and began the Korean War, trying to get rid of the North Korean people. Okay. So Americans came, they tortured our babies, they ate them, they took all the teeth out of our women, they raped them, and they burned our people. So they were like absolute beastly monsters that don't even have warm blood. They're like cold-blooded reptiles. And mm-hmm. for North Korean people, we don't have the internet. You cannot go Google American. The only American image we can get is at school, the posters of Americans that the propaganda department drew and looks horrendous, scary, like monsters, right? <laughs> and that was the image of American in my head. It was never like a normal human being with warm blood. And, and then like they said, okay, we are starving because of American bastards. We don't have a good road because of American bastards. We don't have electricity because of American bastards. Like every single time, something gone wrong, it had to be Americans' fault. And America never had the intention of invading Korea, and they, they are too busy themselves. But like North Korea needs to keep this narrative. Yeah. So people can be distracted and knowing the truth, right? It's like truth is a lot complicated than that. I understand that. And, and with, that, with that narrative, was that just America, or did any European countries involved in that, or was that not even on the radar, just Americans? They, they make it simple, just America, and a little okay. bit of Japanese imperialists. Like they, Japan colonized uh, Korea for 30 years uh, before the communism came. So they, they blame Japan a little bit, but like nothing compared, like 95% of the energy spent on hating America. That's and so that's, that's like their main uh, blame, you know. That's so interesting. And so now you've been in the USA for 10 years. Is that right? No, uh, six years. Okay. (laughs) Okay. What was it when, but you first came to the U S 10 years ago, is that correct? I visited here. Yeah. 
to uh, Tyler for a mission school. Okay. Uh, Bible study, yeah. Tell me about that experience. Uh, I came to Tyler, Texas for the first time to study Bible and do outreach to go to like Costa Rica. That was because uh, when I was getting rescued by missionaries, they told me uh, I had promised them that I need to become a Christian. And somehow I couldn't become a Christian because in the beginning, like when I heard about Christianity, it just reminded of so much of North Korean theology. Because and it, like the reason why it was so similar is because Kim Il Sung copied the Bible, he copied the Ten Commandments and put his name there instead. And his parents were devout Christians, and then he got the idea: okay, how about I become a god instead of the god himself? So he copied the entire narrative of the Bible. You know, when the Jesus Christ born, they were like shining stars. And they called the Kim Jong Il, who was supposedly Kim uh, Jesus figure, that we have a shining bright star in our nation, and that was Kim Jong Il. It's like everything, the rainbow show up, the birds singing, everything was like all copied by the Bible. And I felt like in that that I need to explore Christianity a bit more. So I came to America to study Bible. That's so interesting. What was your first experience like in the USA? I mean, that must have been. That must have been weird. Yeah, I remember I was so scared. Like, you know, I mean, I still like, I saw some tourists in South Korea came from America, but you still don't know, like, America is such a big country. And I was really scared. Like, what if these people try to, like, kill me? And <laughs> I landed at the airport at Houston uh, International Airport to transfer. And I just, Americans in their big hoodies. Chips, so chill. <laughs> no, nobody <laughs> and, tried to eat you. No, everybody okay. was so like big smile, and yeah, I just fell in love in an instant. <laughs> That's so interesting. Okay, so tell me about the the next few years leading up to that. So when you came to Texas for the first time, mm -hmm. you were still living in South, South Korea. Yeah. Okay, and when did you first move? When did you actually move to the USA? Uh, later 2015, almost 2016, I moved here. Okay. Yeah. And what's been happening since then? I mean, that's, uh, so you've now been in the States for six or seven years. Yeah. And you've been on a lot of journeys. You've spoken on a lot of stages. I know that's certainly how I came to be familiar with you. And yeah, I mean, you've, you've done so much. Um, and I know that you've been raising a lot of awareness for your, you know, your country of origin. So yeah, man, I'm, I'm curious to know how these last few years have been for you. Yeah. So I came to America initially to write a book about my experience escaping from North Korea. And as I said, try to really tell the people what's happening in the darkness. And it's literally the darkest place in the world right now. And nobody really, a lot of people have a clue what's happening. And I began in this dream idea as an activist, you know, if I tell enough people, if I let the world know what's happening, we can do something to help these people. I mean, we have resources to rescue little puppies. Why can't we not help these people? And then in during my activist journey, I was keep 
of facing difficulty where people saying, okay, I, I care what's happening, but just I cannot do anything about it. And it's like, why? And I was starting making YouTube videos, try to, you know, show the reality how you can order North Korean girl as a sex slave online in Chinese, like Baidu website right now. And then Google just demonetized any video that I make on this subject. Oh, wow. So I was reaching out to Google like, hey, I, I saw that you guys were standing up for me too, of women who are raped in American corporate America. I mean, this is literally women are raped in the communist like countries like North Korea and China. And like, do you not believe in women's rights or something? And they just said vaguely, oh, we, we just, it does not meet with our guidelines, whatever mm -hmm. the guideline they have. And then uh, my first book became an international bestseller. So there were people trying to make a movie about my first book. And then the producer was making it when they got me the script and I was reading the script. And apparently when I entered China, that was my promised land. China gave me security, they protect me, they gave me identity, they were amazing country. So I, I call like producer like, what are you talking about? Like, this is so far from the truth. You know, this is exactly, uh, this is not what something I want to talk about. And he said, this is the only way right now in this climate that we can make a movie about North Korean story in Hollywood. Mm. Oh, because wow. everybody, every studio get funding from Hollywood. I mean, from mm. China, from right? China. Hollywood. Yeah. yeah. So they cannot never make a movie that makes China upset. Mm. And that's why I was, I met, I mean, Hillary Clinton, I met, uh, I've been at the State Department, I've been at the United Nations, I've been speaking at TED, I've been speaking at BBC and everywhere. As soon as I bring the China piece, they drop it. Michelle Obama has no problem standing up for girls who were captured by Boko Haram ISIS. But nobody in the West want to stand up for girls who were captured and raped by Chinese Communist Party because of the reasons interest. And, and then that led me to my second activism right now. That's, that was really my book, uh, the new book that I just recently wrote. I had a, I don't know, luck or <laughs> unfortunate circumstance. I had the opportunity to go to study in American University in New York City. And I got my four years BA there and I apart because the materials that I learned at North Korean classroom, the exact same material were being taught at Ivy League school in American class, like university. What do you mean by that? So it's so interesting in North Korea, as I said, you know, teachers teaching us all the problems we have in the world. It's because of the white men, because of Western like uh, bastards and capitalism. At Columbia <laughs> University, exactly because all the problems that we have is because of the white man and capitalism and the current system. There's a meme that Kim Jong-un came to Colombia and at the classroom he learned how, he got the ideas, how to brainwash North Korean people, you know? <laughs> and I think they're copying from each other. It is amazing how the materials that the same ideas being taught in the North Korean classroom and American classroom is identical. And the That's mass insane. brainwashing is happening in America, and I don't think people know what's going on. 
So is that primarily what the basis of your new book is about? Is that the, is that the primary warning of the book? So, yeah, so I try to bring the parallel between North Korean experience and American experience. So for like examples, people really don't know how, how similar what's happening. So even about the white privilege, right? Or white guilt. The biggest injustice that I've seen was, I mean, two of them is that people get punished for their birthplace and people get punished for the something that they didn't do. And in North Korea, as I said, we, we were divided into 51 different classes. And that if that class division based on upon what your ancestors did. Mm -hmm. So if my great great grandfather was a landowner or a capitalist or educated professor or a trader, my caste is going lower because I have my blood is tainted. And because of my great grandfather apparently owned a tiny land in front of his house on a little garden he marked as a landowner. That's why his offsprings are being punished for his crime. And in America, because some people, not all whites, most of them are also immigrants, right? Like even people coming from Russia, they never owned a slave. But because they're white, they say, your ancestors owned the slave. Therefore, now you are guilty. You should feel guilty and you are, your blood is tainted. Mm-hmm. And this is the exact same ideology and tactic they use to divide people. What it does is division between people. Mm -hmm. And what North Korean regime did so successfully was dividing people and planting distrust between people. Imagine if we do not trust each other, then even if a government becomes enemy, we don't have ally to fight back. And now at Columbia classrooms, exact same thing. They say, if you say or do anything you do, make somebody feel emotionally uncomfortable, you can get kicked out of the university. Mm -hmm. It's unlike North Korea, you're not going to get executed. But if you go against the political correctness, they, they, they assassinate your character. Like as soon as you disagree with the mainstream ideology in America, now they say you're a bigot. You're a yeah. Nazi, you're the racist, you're mm -hmm. arriving, and they, they take your job away, your livelihood away, and they take your dignity away, and they kill your uh, character. Yes. And of course, the you know, retaliation is never going to be that close right now, but yeah. this is a beginning phase. And a lot of times when I came to America, they were asking me, like, are North Koreans are so dumb or something? Why there is no revolution? Why don't they rise up? And I was thinking, like how many of us in America right now are like censoring ourselves, censoring our speech to not get canceled. And especially during the pandemic era where we could not talk about like, oh, the children are safe from pandemic. They should not put on a mask on their face. Mm -hmm. Like I have a five years old now, but he was like two years old during the pandemic. He goes to daycare. They put a mask until here, eight hours a day in the daycare. Good. And the injustice of that is they open the nightclubs and bars and street clubs. Adults can go and drink and smoke pot and be in a nightclub. Little kids cannot run around for eight hours a day in this like 
The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Mass prison. Mm-hmm. And if you say that on Twitter, and in March, it's a bit different, but, you know, Facebook, Instagram, any other social media, YouTube, you get demonetized, you get strike warnings. And that's when I was like, we do not have a freedom of speech anymore. Like it's taking away from us every single day. Mm-hmm. And people don't know that it begins like that gradual steps. We're never going to be one day become like North Korea. But certainly the path is there because our children at school learning exact same things that North Korean children are learning at their school. And that cannot be a great thing. Look at what their, what their future is looking like right now. Wow. That's powerful right there. That's powerful. So essentially, as I understand this, it's the same tactics mm-hmm. at play. So yeah. obviously it's not the same degree of severity or mm-hmm. physical danger or anything like that, but it's the same collectivist way of thinking. It's the same divide and conquer, divide and rule, um, keep people create this chill effect through censorship so that people start to police their own words and eventually police their own thoughts. And I mean, it's so interesting, even as you say it, because as you're talking, do you know what I was just thinking as you're talking? I was like, oh, is she going to say anything that's going to, you know, risk risk this video on YouTube getting demonetized, right? Because I've had I've had podcasts, I've had podcasts demonetized. I've had podcasts, you know, I've had certain episodes that are not on YouTube. Because, yeah. you know, we, in, in relation to the scandemic, um, you know, certain, <laughs> thing, certain things were mentioned that are not allowed. And so, yeah, it's not, obviously, it's not a one-to-one equivalent. Like, we're talking totally yeah. different levels of censorship and oppression and whatever. But I think the, the idea is it's the, same, it's the same idea and way of thinking that has played out so many times in history when you start to categorize people in different classes and you ascribe collective guilt or collective blame onto people when you want to start punishing people for other people's wrongdoing or other people's sins or punish them simply for their immutable characteristics it's it's so interesting because it's a complete inversion of what actually makes west the, the western world the modern western world so free and have so much liberty and so much potential for greatness. It was actually moving away from this heavily collectivist thinking and just moving more towards liberty and towards the individual and individual rights and freedom of speech and freedom of association and all those things. 
And there's this strange inversion, which has been happening really accelerated in the past decade, actually, because, mm -hmm. you know, 15, 20 years ago, some of the conversations we're now having, you know, people weren't thinking about these things or worrying about them. But there are many people now, funnily enough, many who even call themselves liberal, who are moving, who've just moved very far away from liberalism. They've kind of come full circle to where they start advocating for censorship and they want to restrict freedom of speech. And, you know, again, during the pandemic situation, they wanted to force masks on people. They wanted to force needles into people's arms. They wanted to create discrimination and segregation and policies and laws which would separate people depending on whether or not they took a needle to the arm, all of that stuff. And as someone who, I mean, I grew up primarily in the Middle East. I grew up in Saudi Arabia, but I was born in England, um, went to an American school in Saudi Arabia for a while. Then I went back to school in England. My family's from Nigeria. So I've been exposed to all these different countries and mm -hmm. cultures. And as someone who appreciates countries like the UK and like the USA and for certain things, it was very alarming. It's been very alarming for me to see people afraid to voice what they think or people afraid yeah. to say, you know, I'm not even talking about views that are fringe or extreme or anything. People should be allowed to voice fringe views as well, but mm -hmm. just very sort of, I don't know, people afraid to say that, terrified to say that they voted for Trump, terrified yeah. to say that they voted for Brexit, terrified to say that a woman doesn't have a penis, terrified to say that um, <laughs> men shouldn't compete in women, what, what, whatever it is, very obvious yeah. things. It's like, you know, people are feeling, feeling forced to say that two plus two equals five when they know that it doesn't. And I mean, this must hit even harder for you, given your background. But I think it's something that um, a lot of people are concerned, concerned about. And I think someone with your background ringing that alarm bell is, is very, is very salient. I think it's very powerful. Yeah, so what you just thought about, like, you know, how at Columbia, they say the math is a white man's, the gender is a construct made by white men to control people, right? And the same thing is math is racist. It's a way to buy white men to control people. <laughs> and literally reminded of my North Korean lecture. And one of my first like times when I was going to school, my teacher were telling me one day, like, what is one plus one? And I was not a good student, but this I knew. I was like two. And my teacher would tell me wrong. Why am I wrong? And it's like, you add one drop of water and add another drop of water. What does that become? becomes a bigger one. It does not mm. become two. Mm. That's how my dear little Kim Jong-un as a child proved that math was like made by white men. It was not logical. <laughs> and this exact same nonsensical thing were being taught at the Ivy League School at Columbia by a most educated professor you can imagine. Mm -hmm. How math is made up by the white men to control people. And I'm like, do you know? <laughs> So in some ways, I think they don't even know themselves. Like the same ideology drove North, drove North Korea to this is like same driving themselves. Even mm -hmm. they don't understand how similar they are, how ridiculous themselves are right now. Yeah. Well, I think to, I think the problem here is twofold, and this is something I really noticed over over the last few years when all these various nations and states and cities became very very tyrannical with their whole COVID response. I think. The reason why a lot of people in the West can easily slip into that is because of sort of two two fallacies. I think number one, people always think this can't happen here. Mm -hmm. 
you hear about China, you hear about North Korea, you hear about uh, certain things that have happened in in the in the Middle East or certain parts of Africa or whatever, and people think that can't happen here, like that can't mm-hmm. happen here. Where this is the, this is America, this is the UK, this is this is France, this is Germany, whatever it is, that can't happen here. Um, and then I think number two is people always think it can't go that far, right? Yeah. So even right now. We know how far it can go because you come from a country where it's gone that far and where it's been that far for many decades at this point. But people also think it won't go that far. So if you're on stage two, then mm-hmm. people don't think that stage five is even possible. It seems yeah. it's it's too far. Like, no, maybe it'll get to stage three, but it won't get to stage seven. And then suddenly you're in stage six and it's like, oh, no. OK, well, we can't get to stage 10. So I think that that type of lack of vigilance is how people can fall into these things. And they don't really realize when it's happening until Mm -hmm. it's gotten to, it's never too late to do something about, but the longer you leave it, the harder it becomes to push back. If you've gotten so used to censoring yourself all the time, you've gotten so used to hiding your identity or not speaking up when you see something, then once you program yourself to do that, then it becomes hard to generate the courage when you actually need it. I consider both cowardice and courage habits, right? They're not mm-hmm. just things that they're, they're things you practice every single day, right? Every single day that you're out there, you're speaking online, offline, you're doing all you do, you're cultivating that courage habit. I imagine for you, courage isn't even something that you need to psych yourself up for right mm-hmm. it's just it's it's your yeah. it's your default setting right your default setting yeah. is to speak out and to speak up and say what you think is right and call attention to the things that you think need attention called to for someone who has spent the last 10 years avoiding that and not doing it then when they want to do it they actually find oftentimes that they really struggle to because they haven't they haven't practiced they got so used to always taking the path to avoid the conflict the path to you know path of least resistance that actually when it comes time to speak up, they're, they're even more scared now. And they think, oh, no, I, could, no I, I can't do it. And then they want to kind of hide and leave other people to do it. And um, I, I think this is what's leading to a lot of the sort of modern current, current madness is I don't, think it's that, I don't think it's so much that most people are brainwashed or most people don't know what's going on or whatever. I just think that people are afraid. There's this chill. And um, I'm starting to see the chill thawing. I think that mm-hmm. the pendulum is starting to swing back. I'm starting to see more and more people compared to, say, 2017 or 2018. I'm seeing more people who are willing to stick their head up and speak out about certain issues. Um, and I think that's good. And I think that someone like yourself, you know, massive respect to you because I think it it's not just important for yourself and the things you're drawing attention to i think it's important because it sets an example for other people other people can look at your courage and bravery and see how you're moving and it encourages them to go oh okay wow there's this young woman out there who went through all this and is still out there and speaking and what like okay i can do a little bit more surely right oh thank you yeah, I mean, I really hope that's like, I think outside of college campuses, it seems definitely like throwing effect or maybe, uh, but I don't, that's the thing, like a myself, 
I listen to like NPR and BBC every day. <laughs> it just doesn't seem like they're getting any sane every day. You know, it gets worse and worse. <laughs> so it's very hard. It's a, it 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 seems like you're getting more divided. Mm. But I think because also I live in New York City, okay. and yeah. general, where you say you live in Austin, right? I'm sure at least Austin. I um, live in- I'm in Austin right now. I actually don't live anywhere. I just I just travel all the time. Oh, so I'm yeah, I'm always in different cities and different countries. So yeah. I've I've been to New York City. I think I went there twice last year. Um, oh. But I I go all over all over the USA. I've recently been to the UK. Dubai, Australia, um, Mexico. Like I've been to a lot of different places, and I'm I'm going to I'm going to actually I'm going to be in Qatar next month, oh, wow. and then South Africa and Nigeria. So I'm having a lot of conversations with a lot of people in a lot nice. of different places. And um, you know what what is interesting is you do oftentimes I'll be in very different countries, and you have people have the same concerns. A lot of people have the same concerns, whether you're in Australia or in the USA Mm -hmm. or in the UK, people have the same, you know, all the stuff that we're talking about, Mm -hmm. people are expressing the same worries, you know, 10,000 miles away. So especially after the last few years that we've just lived through where, you know, countries were shutting down and people were forced in their houses and you basically had this, uh, you know, dictatorship in many cities in many, in many parts. I mean, I, th- I don't know if you saw what happened in Australia. I mean, they were, yeah. it, it was crazy. So it was, it was interesting going over there and talking to people who experienced that. Um, wow. and yeah, I mean, their country was, they, they turned into mini, <laughs> into a mini CCP state for multiple years. <laughs> so yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I think that people take, people take liberty for granted often and Mm. i think that you know because of your story you're absolutely not someone who would ever do that oh yeah that's so that's i mean i have a son now and i always say i cannot imagine the world without america Mm -hmm. i think with all its flaws that america has there this country stands up for individual liberty yeah and and not many countries put a word in that i think it's very interesting when North Korean regime tried to attack me and tried to assassinate my characters, right? Try to say, I'm a human scum, I'm a trash, I'm a CIA spy. I mean, they're mm. naming, I mean, they, that's the thing. They always like say, oh, she's trained by, you know, CIA to say this stuff. <laughs> All the CIA, <laughs> so when are they calling me, right? Yeah. <laughs> but one thing they made my relative to speak to denounce me. That was, oh, since when she was young, she was so individualistic. And that is the worst thing you can be in the communist country. Mm-hmm. You cannot be an individual because nobody allowed to become an individual, right? You're part of thing. Otherwise, you're, you don't matter. And America, this country is so found upon the idea where individuals matter. Individual liberty comes above everything else. And I think people really don't understand when we stop respecting individuality, what happens to individuals, because you don't matter anymore. Mm-hmm. Where, where do you think is this optimal balance between individualism and I don't really want to use the term collectivism, but kind of like mm. c- community? Because yeah. 
I think I think every we we all know that you know we've with the excesses of collectivism have manifested in many countries in many different ways. We've talked about that. I I do also think, however, that one of the threats to the West in some ways mm. is this individualism at all costs type of situation. When I say that, I don't mm. even mean I don't even mean in terms of individual rights. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think in terms of rights, I think more in terms of like responsibility and a sense of duty or lack of. I think that people have become yeah. so atomized, right, that they don't even I mean, a lot of the big problems that that are happening in, in the West and certainly in the USA are, you know, fa- family breakdown and, yeah. um, you know, so many children. I mean, the USA has more children, I believe, than any other country. Um, you know, without, um, without, uh, in, in single, single parent households and so many people are, I think a lot of the mental health problems and the the rise of loneliness and the lack of Mm -hmm. companionship and things that people are feeling, all of these things seem to come. And and I'd, I'd even say some of the, some of the the silly elements of wokeness, like the obsession with gender and the obsession with sexuality and right. Everyone wants to be so unique that they even have their own gender and their own sexuality and their own, right? It's like, it's like hyper individualism to the point that it comes above reality itself, right? The truth doesn't even matter now. It's your truth and my truth and his truth and her truth and all of that. (laughs) So to me, that's almost like this extreme expressive individualism, which, um, you know, I guess is better than extreme collectivism. But I think there's a sort of, I think there's a healthy balance that we can kind of come back to where, yeah, we absolutely respect the individual, individual rights, individual freedoms and liberties, but we also encourage individuals to care about the greater society and Mm -hmm. family and community. And, you know, it's not just me, 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 this is my right to do this, my right to do that. So I can just do whatever I want and I don't care because I don't think that's good for I mean, we're seeing it's not it's not good for individuals and it's certainly not good for society as a whole when people don't aren't at least looking out for each other in some way. Totally. I mean, mm. uh, I think as an immigrant, I'm sure you can uh, see that when you go to a new country, you, when you find your home, you always debate how much do you let go and how much do you accept, right? And I had to do that, like how much of North Koreanness or South Koreanness I'm gonna let go and then be American. And somewhere middle was always optimal point for me. <laughs> it's a, right, it, like in America too, like when I was at Columbia, my professor was saying that, you know, I can be a man and there's no difference between man and me. And I was saying, well, our bone density is different and our muscle like mass is different. And I have a uterus, I have ovaries that generate, makes eggs. I have different hormones. Like there's an actual biological difference between men and me. And she was like, who taught you that you're brainwashed to think that you cannot be a man? <laughs> <laughs> this is an Ivy League professor, right? <laughs> so I'm like, I do not look, I don't feel like a man, but like it's, it's not about feeling, but at this point. Yeah. I think I had to study about the ideas of individual freedom. Again, I had to read a lot about original texts about what the founders meant, founding fathers meant of being individual, you know? 
freedom comes with responsibility. So when, when, like in the beginning, when I was trying to become free and be free in South Korea, initially I thought freedom meant was like, I can watch K-pop dramas, I can wear jeans, you know, I can put on makeup as a younger, I can dye my hair because in North Korea you cannot do any of those because those are like symbol of capitalism. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like wearing maybe like a skirt as a girl. And then as you gradually older and older, you realize freedom means a responsibility. It comes with a virtue. And what America has lost is that principles, that responsibility, that virtue, that what founding fathers meant. A lot of times back then, they derived that virtue from uh, Christianity, right? Mm -hmm. Serving God, serving your nation, serving your family, be a good spouse, being a good role model, right? And don't be a vain, don't be prideful, be humble. And all of that has a little bit gone become, we, as we become more atheists and atheists. So I think it's not coming from being individualist society comes from. I think all the side effects that we see, people just shooting up the heroin on the street. In front of my child in New York City selling drugs, drug dealers selling drugs in this purple like beautiful candy bags mm. and my son thinks somehow they are selling lollipop it's extremely dangerous in what they're doing and that's not freedom right that's anarchy that's a i don't even know what to describe that so i think that's why freedom comes with virtue and it comes with education and teach next generation what it means to be free mm-hmm. freedom doesn't mean just you do whatever you want Freedom comes with responsibility, principles, and you have the you have to find a meaning in freedom too. Otherwise, the thing that we see in SF, New York, LA, <laughs> in downtowns, you know, and they call that freedom. Yeah, everything you've just said there sounds extremely sensible, and it sounds to me like common sense, and it sounds like it makes sense. So therefore, it is controversial. Um, <laughs> exactly. Do you, do, do you find do you find that you that you get that you get pushback when you say such things? I mean, I don't just get pushed back; I get cancelled. Okay, uh, who's been who's trying to cancel you, Yomi? It's you have no idea. Uh, where do I begin? <laughs> I probably have an idea. I probably do have an idea. I know. But... <laughs> so so far, I'm not cancelled by my agent. I I'm still with the CAA. And it's a reputable agent, talent agency, you know, like they, they present to everybody. <laughs> I was right two days before I, I was invited to speak at Samsung Electronics in, uh, in California. About, we, we agreed upon what I'm going to talk about. It was not about politics. It was not about American thing. It was purely how I survived North Korea and how I escaped. Mm-hmm. And that was the thing we under contract we agreed upon. And I have done those many speeches about that, just only about North Korean part. And that's actually until two years ago, that's what I was dedicating my life for, freeing North Korean people. And two days before the head of diversity department calls me. (laughs) And because my political ideas, they cannot invite me as a speaker. Wow. But, but (laughs) so I also happened to be, became American on January, 2021, uh, 2022, last year, literally a year ago, I became American and the citizenship test, this lady asking me, have you ever persecuted somebody for their political opinion? 
if you said yes, you cannot become American. Being American means you cannot persecute people for their political opinions. What they're doing is not constitution at all. Wow. So they, they, because literally they said, your political ideas, opinions, we, it does not align with our values, so we cannot invite you. And then a few months later, I was invited to speak at the FBI Dallas. They asked me to talk, educate the FBI uh, workers about the reality of North Korean people and how they escaped the country. So I was like, of course, I would love this. It's what I, I live for. This is my life mission. And then the day before, the head of diversity again calls me. I don't know why FBI needs a head of diversity <laughs> at this point. Every company has one, right? <laughs> calls me. Oh, we cannot invite you as a speaker. Like, why? It's like, because your political opinions again. And like, oh, we wow. cannot have you as a speaker. So because I believe in family values, that I believe that there's difference between men and women, <laughs> that I cannot be a speaker for the North Korean human rights issue. Wow. And even where to begin, there are like my son who's two years old. And they, I think they heard about my opinions on social media that I don't believe in masking my son. I mean, he needs mm -hmm. because at, at school, his teacher forced him to wear a mask. But during the daytime at the parks, I don't put a mask on my son who's two years old, who can barely learning to walk right now, right? Like, and that he's, we had a play group and the mother says to their nannies, do not play with my son because of my political ideas. I mean, that really broke my heart. And because of that, after that, we actually do not put my name on his school application in New York City. Because they Google social, uh, they Google search the who parents are, and if if it's known for my son that his mother is me, he's not gonna get into a lot of schools. So I don't show up to his school now because of uh, people can recognize, and that happened before. So it's a, it's it's not just a joke about what we are doing. It actually have real consequences, including my own family. And it's just so beyond heartbreaking. Why are you doing this to each other? You know, it's a free country. We can't accept everybody's opinions. And we don't need to even celebrate. We can let people talk mm -hmm. and have their own opinions. It, so when these uh, heads of quote-unquote diversity uh, call you up to, uh, to, to disinvite you, are they specific about, you know, if they say, you know, your political views don't align with our values, let's yeah. say, mm -hmm. do they, are they specific about what it is that they object to, or is it just a vague generalized statement? It, it was the same thing, right? Like last year after my Joe Rogan experience that my book really went viral, my first mm -hmm. book and became like sold, I think number third, the most sold book that week. Wow. And then, of course, Penguin Random House was very excited. They reached out to New York Times, like, oh my God, finally we can call in order to leave a New York Times bestseller. And then New York Times comes back and no, it's not. And then my publisher was like, this is the how much headcount we can count. Like, this sold the most books right now by third like degree, you know, and 10 books can become a bestseller. And they just don't give the reason. Exactly what happened to Jordan Peterson. They do not make his book bestseller if they sold 10 million copies. So they don't give you the reason. They just say your ideas are too uh, controversial and do not align with our uh, beliefs, our, 
you know, their own like beliefs internally as a private company they have. Mm-hmm. And I guess, I mean, we didn't have a contract, so what I was going to cover, the title of the speech, like CAA really did a good job of, I mean, this speaking contracts, it's not like just I'm going to show, I'm going to speak. Yeah. They internally, lawyers going back and forth, they negotiate the contract, the theme, the length, microphone. I mean, they decide how many minutes I'm going to be in the green room, how many, one minute I'm going to be picked up, right? They negotiate everything. I'm not going to cover something they would tell me not to talk about. We already discussed the topic and what I'm going to cover in the speech and everything. You know, we're going to stand on the stage and cover the contract, but it just doesn't happen that way. And other ones were like, and then we, of course, saw that Samsung Electronics had a $2 billion investment in China. <laughs> right, China can shut that down any minute if they want to. Yeah. So they cannot bring someone like me to Amazon, to Samsung Android phones sold in China, massive amount. They cannot afford to lose China market. Yeah. So economic interest always comes before human rights, even though they say that silence is violence. And actually, I covered in my book, I was like only a few North Koreans. I don't know what luck I had that I was invited by Jeff Bezos okay. to go to his private event gathering, uh, something called the campfire, like Tom Hanks or the billionaires and movers and shakers goes. And Harvey Weinstein, he literally flew me with Harvey Weinstein from private jet from New York to uh, the conference site oh, wow. right before the Me Too. Wow. And he gave a speech at this campfire off the record about how he came from nothing, from flushing queens and how he helped all these communities. And after the speech, everybody was just like standing up, giving him a standing ovation. And a few months later, the Me Too blows up. I asked people who were at the site, the women who accused him later was at that conference. And like, did you guys know that these uh, accusations were happening? So like, of course we knew. Wow. But they only take a side when it's giving them the fame and when it's convenient for them. And the, the corruption in the American elite, the hypocrisy, just <laughs> it's as much as North Korean hypocrisy, but it's not as, I guess, cruel. They don't kill people, right? Yeah. <laughs> the hypocrisy is the same. That's so crazy. Wow, that's so crazy! On multiple levels, that's crazy. Yeah, it, it, it's the the irony. As sad as it is, there's there's also something hilarious about the irony of these heads of diversity and inclusion who despise diversity and want to exclude <laughs> and want to exclude people. I mean, I mean, let look, let's even because even look, even if we play their game, on paper, you are literally, you know, a woman from the most oppressive country in the world who escaped had to deal with human trafficking and human slavery who went through all this stuff and you're you're literally like the story of like you know you 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 have a lot of victim points <laughs> right in, in, the, in the in the hierarchy right you you have a lot of yeah. victim points like you know you're yeah. not just some you know straight white christian man from uh you know from a rich family in america or something and so it sort of just amazes me how these individuals cannot see the absurdity and hypocrisy of saying in the name of diversity and inclusion we yeah. need to exclude you 
from our program. I mean, it's not the exact same thing, but a couple a couple months ago, actually, I got um I got protested for the first time. <laughs> I spoke oh, no. at a, I, sp- I spoke at a university in Florida, and you know, a big group of students. First of all, they tried to get me disinvited from you know from of even course. being. Yeah. They tried to block me from even coming on the campus. But then when I did come, you know, they they gathered and they had their signs and you know their chants and everything and. And it was also funny because I'm like, wow, okay. And my speech was about freedom of speech. So oh, all wow. of these <laughs> so all of these students, and again, I don't even like to speak in their terms, but you know, mostly white students are right. gathering to like try to ban a black man from coming to their <laughs> campus to speak about freedom of speech. And they're the ones who think that they're all progressive and woke. And you know, some of them even had Black Lives Matter signs. And I'm just like <laughs> So I'm, just like, <laughs> oh I'm just like, what, what is going on? Like, this is the, yeah, and I'm just like, this is the, the layers of the hypocrisy. And just, I'm just like, this is, I don't even know what time we're living in. Yeah, it's, it's as an outsider, as an immigrant, it's somehow, it's so funny sometimes, or it's so ridiculous, it's funny. But I think that was the thing, with this, what was wrong with North Korea, that... Mm. When I came out, that was when the movie interview was made about Kim Jong-un. Remember the movie uh, where they Sony made a movie, tried to make fun of Kim Jong-un satire, and in the movie, he assassinates Kim Jong-un. And then Sony gets hacked by North Korea. And then Obama has come out, defend the movie that we have freedom of speech, we can watch the movie. Oh, you know, I, I, have, I haven't seen this movie. Okay, I so like there's a movie Sony made in 2014 a satire movie in the movie that they two agents from CIA goes to North Korea and kills Kim Jong-un and bring the liberation to North Korean people. A very dumb, stupid satire movie. Nothing about serious. But North Korea was like, how can you do to this great, you know, dignified, our dear leader to like assassinate him. So they went, hacked Sony and they released all of their files about the internal affairs that people had and what celebrity gets paid a while, like a lot of embarrassing things that Sony had internally. And then the North Korea said, if you show the movie in American theaters, they are going to see another 9-11. They were literally going to bomb the movie theaters. Wow. So Obama had to come out and say like, hey, we have a freedom of speech. We have a right to watch this movie. But the still the big theaters got so scared they couldn't show it. Only the independent theaters, the little ones, I guess, show the movie. Mm-hmm. And that time I came to America, it was shocking because North Korea was a joke to people. Only thing they were interested in was like making fun of his haircut, like how cartoonish <laughs> he looks. And they do not understand what this man does to the 25 millions of people. When something is so funny, we lose the gravity of the issue. And even though like this crazy liberal students at co- left students at college campuses, right, in their like hundred bucks yoga pants on their juice detox, <laughs> and talk about how they're so oppressed, <laughs> it's like the most bizarre thing and funny thing you can ever see. But those useful idiots, I think, can bring a people, country like North Korea and China eventually mm. if we do not stop them. I hear that. I think one of the biggest problems we have right now in the modern West and particularly in the USA is that a lot of Westerners and Americans don't fully appreciate how good that they have it. 
And I think it's a lot easier for immigrants, whether they have a story like yours or something that's far more mild, it's easy for immigrants to fully appreciate these countries because there's more perspective. And as a result of more perspective, there's more gratitude. So mm. you're not interested in burning America to the ground and dismantling and deconstructing everything because you recognize that, sure, every nation has its flaws. Mm -hmm. But comparatively, compared to the rest of the world, compared to history, certainly compared to North Korea, this place is, you know, if you live in America, you're, you're you've, you've kind of struck the jackpot multiple, yeah. multiple times. Does that mean it doesn't mm -hmm. mean it's perfect? But I think that a lot of this behavior that you see with these, you know, woke types or these fake social justice warriors and whatever is they're just like spoiled brats basically they have no gratitude and they have no perspective and this is why they do all these goofy things and they're so hypocritical and they're just not making even sense because they just want to complain and whine and disrupt they don't create anything they don't make anything yeah. right they just yeah. want to tear down and destroy and they want to attack you and they want to attack me and they want to attack <laughs> joe rogan right they just they want to just like attack anyone who's building something and who's talking about personal responsibility and liberty and so on. They just kind of see you as the enemy. And I just think if people had a bit more, um, just a bit more appreciation of mm. how good we have it, if you are a young person in 2023 and you live in one of these Western countries, then man, like so many billions of people around the world and all throughout human history would give an arm and a leg to trade positions with you. And I think when oh. you think of it that way, it, number one, it makes you a better, more appreciative, more gracious person. Mm -hmm. um, but it also allows you to, I think, become more successful because you see the opportunity instead of just mm -hmm. seeing the problems. You know, it's, it's good to see problems and it's important yeah. to try to find a way through them. But you also see the opportunity with it all, right? It's like, oh, wow, mm -hmm. like there's, it's the thing that amazes me most about, about the USA, actually, even compared to the UK, is just the scale of opportunity. Just this giant country with 50 different states and thousands of cities and 300 million plus people and just so much true diversity and different interests and different like there's if you're anywhere entrepreneurial or creative or whatever. I mean, this is this is a place where it's, it's like the opportunity is just infinite. And I think once you see it, it's very, very obvious. But so many people are kind of wrapped in this ideology and negativity that they don't even see it and instead of moving from a place of abundance they're coming from this place of scarcity which is why they're always trying to pull other people down because they think that oh if you rise up you know you're 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 uh, you're pulling me down or if that person is in a good position then they're somehow an oppressor and i'm a victim and because of my race or my gender or my skin color or my sexuality or this or this or this so many people want to be the victim and i think it's I don't know, it's just manifesting in very weird ways, but in ways that are genuinely detrimental for society. Mm -hmm. Some of it is just funny and we can laugh at it, but some of it is actually very destructive and very divisive. Yeah. And it's putting people in these little groups and categories, right? These 51 classes, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. and, you know, it's like it's an unofficial version now that, we, that, that people are creating. Um, and it's not yeah. good. Definitely. It's a we have a pyramid for like this victim who's mm. the bigger victim and who can score more of those victim, you know, cards. Oppression Olympics. Absolutely. Yeah.
So Yami, what else have you got in store? I know, so you're, by the time this podcast comes out, your new book is yeah. going to be out and available. Um, yeah. Do you want to give that a little, a little plug? What's it called? And where will people yeah. be able to get it? It's called Wire Time Remains uh, on Amazon. I know I just talked about Jeff Bezos, but <laughs> he's a great company. What can I say? <laughs> he cannot do anything about North Korea because of China. He has a huge investment there. <laughs> and I mean, any bookstore you can imagine. And I really hope that um, I hope that we can save this country before it's too late. Absolutely. So, yeah. And. Um... Mm -hmm. Before we go, how how can the average person, if if possible, is there mm -hmm. any way that the average person can help with the situation in North Korea and the North Korean people? I mean, what can what can someone even do? I mean, I think awareness is the first part, but in your mm. perspective, what 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 can people even do? Yeah, I think it's awareness. I mean, really, the main thing here that. Most of people do not understand why North Korea exists. The only reason North Korea exists, the system exists today, is because the Chinese Communist Party sponsors it. If China, since doesn't have them for one week, the regime gonna collapse. Mm. They don't have anything in the country, right? They can nobody can trade with them. They cannot have anything. The reason they are keep testing nuclear weapon is because China is keep giving them the oil. Mm -hmm. If China stop giving the oil for just one week. The regime gonna collapse. They cannot even test nukes there. They don't have the oil inside the country. Nobody can give them the oil other than China. So changing North Korea is that simple. We convinced China to stop sponsoring Holocaust. Then that will make the regime to collapse and people can become free. But the thing is, in the America, even the politicians in the pockets of China and a lot of them are afraid of China. They don't want to mention this, and we need the leaders who understand the, the evil that China is, that how much harm that China is causing to millions of human, humanity right now in the world are suffering because of this evil regime that is in China. And second of all, it's more grassroots levels. There's a lot of NGOs, uh, like the Christian missionaries that rescued me. There are a lot of Christian groups, a lot of non-partisan, non-religious NGO groups that rescuing North Korean defectors from China to freedom and also groups that are sending information inside North Korea. So they are sending leaflets, sending the, you know, a small USB thumb drives with the information that telling North Korean people that, you know, you are enslaved, the regime is corrupt and dictatorship, and life can be different. So there are many ways that you can get involved through the NGO or the advocacy groups that they try to educate the people in Washington, D.C., which is not very easy, but <laughs> there are people certainly trying. <laughs> no doubt. Yanmi, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm a great admirer of you. I think you are extraordinarily brave and courageous in the true sense. So keep on speaking up, keep on raising awareness, and I look forward to meeting you in real life at some point. That would be amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day. Stick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand. Stunt me, you're destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam. Put some respect on my name. Sick like a pain, click and I bang. Y'all gon' remember the name. Y'all gon' remember the name. 
you know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.